Hey there, and welcome to Hochmah in Coffee as we continue through the book of Hebrews with this new format. I hope you've been enjoying it. If you're just joining us, oh, I'm so glad you're here, but make sure that you jump back a few episodes at least to the beginning of chapter 3 as we begin just talking through uh, this portion of the book of Hebrews. And we're doing it, me and my brother, uh, together, talking back and forth through his notes that he's written here. And so I'm excited you're here. I'm excited to dive into this. We're just going to begin by reading these few verses, verses 9 through 11, and then I'm going to begin asking uh, Jonah about what he thinks about it, why he wrote these notes, and we'll talk back and forth about uh, what these verses mean. And so let's look at verse 9, chapter 3, verse 9. It says, When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart. And they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Now before I I throw the ball over to, to Jonah, just remember we're in a warning passage. We're continuing from our last episode. We're keeping with the same flow. And so you're like, wait, this didn't seem like it's a whole argument. Remember, this is a whole big warning passage that we're breaking down piece by piece. But as we look at verse 9, it says, Your fathers tempted me in the provocation, and they proved me. And so what are some observations you see from verse 9? For sure. I didn't put this in my notes, but I'm looking at it right now. And it's I, again, I love to look at the, te- uh, the, the definitions of certain words. I'm looking at the temptation right now of the definition, did I say temptation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the definition for the word temptation uh, in the Thayer's Greek lexicon. And it literally means this, to try whether a thing can be done, to try, to make a trial of. That's crazy. In a good sense, you could do that. But even in a bad sense, it says to test one maliciously. Uh, you could also try to test one's faith, virtue, character, Uh and this is what they were doing to God. Uh, and that is just incredible uh, that even though they've seen so much, they still are tempting him to see, are you trustworthy? And then it says, they proved me. These Israelites, they were proving God. And it's interesting, if I did my research correctly, God only asks in Scripture to be proved only one time throughout all 66 books. And that's found in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. And he says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. That's the only time we can find in Scripture to my knowledge, that God says, hey, prove me. It's huge. And as we look at this, we have to see what's the difference between these provings or these temptings. And I believe that one of these provings is in faith and all of the others are out of lack of faith. It's like, I don't really know, God. Are you good? Let me prove you. That's that's the kind of proving he says, thou shalt not tempt me. Like, if you don't believe I'm good, don't try to run a test. Whereas this proving is, you need to take a step of faith. I've asked you to give my tithe. Trust me. 
Just trust me. Do what I ask you to do. And that's how you prove. And I think we were also talking about Romans 12, you know, 1 and 2, how Paul picks up on this and says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable. This isn't testing God, but it's testing his will. Prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you want to prove it, live it. That's how you test it. You test it by trusting and obeying. And that's definitely not what happened here in the uh, in the wilderness. Their testing and their temptation was not in faith. It was the exact opposite. And so it really is an interesting, interesting concept for us all to realize that God doesn't want us to test him. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember growing up in Sunday school and they made Gideon out to be like this awesome, <laughs> awesome guy because he laid out the fleece. Yeah. There's other reasons he was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fleece, I don't think, is one of them. I don't think And so. I think a lot of Christians have taken that as as an example of what we should do to God. And I don't think that's right. I think that's no. the opposite of what the whole Bible's trying to get us to do is don't tempt God. Don't yeah. test him. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't think uh, Gideon was definitely, it was from a lack of faith. He wanted to be sure. Like, I don't think I trust <laughs> you yet, God. Can you can you do this so I can be a little uh, more sure about this? And here, Malachi 3, if you're giving your tithes, you were just sharing uh, uh, an example of someone you know who proved God. They were short on money, and yet they said, I know this is the right thing to do, and God provided. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so... God says, yes, you can prove me if it's in faith. You don't have to doubt me. And so, yeah, Gideon, it was a lack of faith. And so here in this verse nine, the word prove is like literally saying to recognize as genuine only after examination. I have to examine you, God. You have to do this and that, and then I'll trust you. That's not how God works. And so even in the past, I mean, these Israelites, they saw God deliver them from Egypt. And even as we see here in verse nine and saw my works 40 years, he provided for them the man of the quail. He, he, their, their clothes didn't even deteriorate, deteriorate. Yeah. And he says, after you've seen all these things, you still are tempting me and trying to prove me. And so then we get to verse 10. Yes. Because of all that, because you saw my works for 40 years and you still proved me, wherefore I was grieved with that generation. Nah, man, it's so big. And I would encourage the listeners, make sure you spend a lot of time meditating on Genesis 1 through 3. Because what you're seeing is what God initiated and what what basically sent humans down the drain in Genesis 1 through 3. And what we see here with the children of Israel is a continuation of that sin with Adam and Eve of not trusting God. I don't believe you, God. You told me not to eat this tree. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. And God's looking for people who will just believe his word. That's what he's looking for. And so the question for us is, are we like Adam and Eve? I don't trust you. I don't know. Maybe you're holding out on me. Are we like the children of Israel? Man, I don't. I, maybe I was awesome seeing the ten plagues and things, and how he totally made a big shame of all the gods of Egypt. But I still don't know. Is he good? Is he powerful? Is he the god I should trust? And I don't know what that comes down the line for you. Maybe it is in your finances. Man, God wouldn't really ask me to give. Maybe it's in the realm of service. I don't think God knows who I am. He would never want me to get involved. He would never want me to share my faith. What is it in your life that you don't trust God with? 
He's plainly said things in, in his word that he just wants us to trust and obey. And they're very simple. The very first one is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust and obey. Trust him. Trust him. Maybe it's about uh, what, what's, the, what's the will of God, even your sanctification that you avoid fornication. Trust and obey. You don't yeah. need to wonder, is God holding out on me? You just trust him. What's the other one? In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning mm. you. You don't have to tempt him. You don't have to worry. You just trust. Okay, God, I, I'm, I'm going to be thankful right now, even though this is crazy. I don't get it. I'm not going to test you, though. I'm just going to trust you. And, and we can keep going on with forgiveness and, and all those other things that God's commanded us to do. We show our hearts and our faith by obeying. Whereas these men and these women tested him and they wanted him to prove himself before they would follow him. And I think that's a great and grievous sin. And we see it is grievous because it grieved God. It hurt him because they erred in their heart. And then verse 11, it ends not very happily. It says, he swore in his wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. Now, we want to be clear today that this rest is not salvation uh, because we have Moses who didn't enter in. And we know based on, we talked about yesterday, the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses is obviously in a very good place. He's with God right now. And so this isn't talking specifically about salvation. It's speaking here specifically about the promised land. And so talk a little bit about what your thoughts on this, and then maybe I'll add some to it. Yeah, for sure. So uh, we believe, and I just do pray that uh, you listeners and friends out there, you do be gracious, because I even know pastors that pastored me uh, for so long. They say, yeah, when I was a 20-year-old, I, I studied the word as much as I could, as best as I could. But now, 50 years later... <laughs> I don't believe what I believed 50 years ago. And so as we are taking our, our views, our beliefs, as we study more and more, we have prayerfully a, a lifetime ahead of studying the word. Uh, but as we've studied so far, yeah, I do believe the promised land is a picture of the victorious Christian life. And so that's what uh, the Holy Spirit is saying here in these couple of verses. They shall not enter into my rest. We know that those people above a certain age, they had to go out and wander in the wilderness and they weren't allowed into the promised land. And that was the perfect will of God for them. That's what he wanted for his people. And he said, because you didn't believe there at Kadesh Barnea that you believe the bad reports, the ten, the 10 bad reports instead of listening to the two good yeah, you can't enter into my rest, the perfect will that I had for you guys. Yeah, and why can't we say that that's salvation? Well, what did we know happened when they got, they had to conquer the the Canaanites and all these other ite peoples, the Jebusites. And, and, like, and we're referring to heaven. It's not heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, salvation, heaven, yeah. Because uh, there are battles in salvation, though. Yeah, for sure. Know? And so when you are saved, but when, when you look at the story of, the Israelites, there's two bodies of water that really define them. There's the Red Sea and the Jordan River. Mm -hmm. The Red Sea is what we would count salvation. You know, they're rescued from the world. That's when they're saved. But they're still going through the wilderness, yeah, right? For sure. But when they cross over the Jordan, that's into that victorious Christian living, like you were saying. And so there will be battles on the other side of salvation. No battles. And I think you were saying the same thing. It was just heaven. Uh, but when we, when we look at this, <clears throat> it can be easy going forward to think that, this is about salvation. And so we want to say from the get-go, 
On the surface, we don't believe that's the case. We do think that this rest is something we'll have to study out even more as we move forward into the next verses. Because this is, um, we were we were meditating on it just a minute ago. It's deep, and there's a lot of confusing language in here. And so some of this, we're going to even probably tell you, we don't know completely what it's referring to. Um, but there's a few ways we could take this moving forward. The first way is that if you're a Christian and you don't believe God in certain areas, you're not going to be walking in his rest, in his perfect will for you. If you're an unbeliever completely, then it's a definite not entering into any any form of rest for you. But it seems from the outset this is speaking more to the believer. And so we'll talk more about the danger, but this is a warning passage for a reason. I mean, that seems pretty scary to me. Does it? Maybe I'm just the only one. Oh, yeah, definitely scary. They shall not enter into his rest. That's supposed to make us nervous that if we harden our hearts, if we tempt God, there are serious repercussions, very serious. And so we're going to talk more about that at another time. I feel bad like leaving on like, and there's (laughs) a serious warning. But I think that's the way this was supposed to be, you know, given it's it's supposed to be a warning and i think our heart as humans is we want to always leave people on an upbeat but i think that this warning needs to sit in our hearts and in our minds for this week that if we harden our hearts if we test god if we grieve him with our unbelief there are serious consequences and so friend as you're listening to this realize God doesn't want you to test him, to disbelieve him, to harden your heart against him. He wants you to trust and obey. Because if you don't, there are consequences ahead. And so I hope you have a great week. May this give us the gravity that we need as we go about our Christian life. And we will talk to you, Lord willing, next week.